at the universities, a lot of times if you're multicultural or have multiple ethnic groups, it'll like set, uh, saturate everything into a non-black category. Mm-hmm. And so like for that, you just have to be careful about the way you approach filling out data surveys and everything. And there's even groups that aren't providing data with consent. Yeah. And so just looking at all the, di- just pretty much giving a complete yeah. picture of what goes on when it comes to data. And our purpose in that is because if the data is skewed, then the support and the resources for the community are then exactly. not, um, mm-hmm. you know, appropriate. Yeah, allocated, allocated correctly. Allocated to us, yeah. Okay. That's something. <laughs> That makes sense, though. Yeah. Okay, cool. Man, that's why I always mark. They be having them boxes that you got to check. Yeah. Black, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't mark no box except black. Mm, I did my DNA and there's other shit, but black every time. (laughs) Just because I know, like, what they're using that shit for, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. I I just think it sucks that whenever it comes to black people and blackness... There's always this weird tension, yeah, with our community, with mm. everything, and there we always have a microscope under us. We always are the ones who are trailblazers in what we yeah. do, and they're always looking at us like, "Oh, what is the black community doing?" Even though mm-hmm. we're the smallest population, like y'all look to us yeah, for exactly. everything for culture, and, but it is weird how there's like this weird, like, obsession with black people. Mm -hmm. I always, it kind of reminds me of, like, what was that movie where that lady stole that man and then she, like, hammered his foot off so he couldn't leave because she, like, loved him so much, but she just, like, tortured him because she, I don't know what her deal was, but um, Misery. It's an older movie. Yeah, I I don't think I've seen that, but that's crazy. And I don't know, like, black people were not only... Um, fetishized Mm. we're also demonized Mm. and we're also again we are always under this microscope good or bad Mm. saying like okay what is the black community going to do like let me make sure that we're not offending black people but still capitalizing off of their bodies their image their Mm. culture which is the biggest thing and yeah it's uh deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many levels and oh, yeah. so many layers um that we're peeling back here. So mm-hmm. what a good intro mm-hmm. <laughs> for this sixth episode of our podcast, Reeducated, a podcast where we rethink, relearn, and get reeducated on many topics relating to our black community here in the state of New Mexico. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by the New Mexico Office of African-American Affairs. And I'm Danny Golden. I'm here with my co-host, Devin Williams. What's up? What's good? How, you, just, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. We just, uh, y'all got to hear a little bit of us chopping it up. This is what we do. We just come in, honestly, and just talk and um, touch base and talk about what's going on in the world. And for us, because of the bodies that we live in, our experience is uh, unique, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's very unique. We face unique challenges in, in this country. And uh, that's a lot of what we're here to talk about. But also to always remember to celebrate ourselves. Uh, so celebrate yourself today. If you are in a melanated body, give yourself a big hug mm-hmm. uh, from us. We hope you feel all the love every time you come and uh, you're here and listen to our podcast. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, comment, all that, interact uh, so that we can keep this thing going. Definitely. And if you have the opportunity to make sure you go out and treat yourself, get yeah. yourself a cup of coffee or treat yourself to breakfast, lunch, dinner, or whatever it may be. And, you know, not all of us have those means, but um, just to take it a step further, if you don't have the means to do that, just look in the mirror or look to yourself and just give yourself positive words of affirmation Mm -hmm. that you are talented, you're beautiful, you're successful, you're not what everybody wants you to be, society wants you to be, you are who you are. And you should embrace that. Mm, wholeness. I love those words for sure. So Dev, why don't you bring us in? Tell us a little bit about episode six and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So for episode six, we're going to be talking specifically about data and specifically about black data or African-American data. And the biggest thing about this episode is understanding that numbers do lie Mm -hmm. and they don't always tell the whole story. And so I think one of the things when you look at data, uh, a lot of times, especially for New Mexico, they look at our data or data for the black community. And the biggest words that we've we've heard, and this changed a little bit, is that we're statistically insignificant. Mm. And I know we've talked about that a little bit. In uh, earlier episodes, even a little bit in last season, but I just think that we just really need to pin that down and really just get deeper into why do we have to be statistically insignificant, although we have the most influence of all the ethnic groups in regards to our culture Mm. and how all these different uh, cultural groups, ethnic groups exploit our culture in order to mobilize themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say like numbers do lie because that's a very common saying, like the numbers don't lie, but it depends on how it's collected, who's collecting it and what the motivations are, Mm -hmm. you know, and what are the underlying biases of those people that are collecting the data um, or if, if there is no like overt bias there, then, you know, what about the, the education of that person or what about the, or the lack of, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, or the, um, how much have they really like thought about our, in the way that I'm collecting this data, how does that affect everybody here? Mm-hmm. Um, and taking all of those things into account, I mean, it's so important that we get a clear picture so that we can allocate resources appropriately. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big part of the the chasm in, you know, in what we're talking about and resources and access. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things to moving to um, a better understanding of data and how it should be mm-hmm. allocated or how it should be collected in the black community, like, 
there needs to be equity. And that's our big word, equity in data and data collection. And so I think part of that is going to be, one, just providing more information and knowledge about what data is and why we need to collect it. But two, being open and transparent about your reasoning for collecting data. And so for different organizations and different industries, making sure, hey, this person said it is okay for you to collect my data without doing some type of scheme or like having weird verbiage or trying to misconstrue the approach that you have to getting that data. And then two, just being, again, open and honest about I'm collecting it because I want to help this community. Or Mm. if you're not, I'm doing this because I'm trying to check this box off Mm. or I'm trying to reach this goal. Yeah. Ethical data collection. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sums up, you know, use some great words, transparency, um, because my my question was going to be to you that you, you know, answer, like, how do we get us to trust the, you know, collection of our data? And mm-hmm. that's a, a perfect answer. We ensure that, you know, when it's being collected, it is in an ethical manner. Mm-hmm. So. And just to add on to that, I think another thing that we really have to do as a society is really have more of an intent to disaggregate data. Mm-hmm. Because, again, look at COVID. Whenever it first started, we were like, okay, these are the numbers, but who's getting infected? What ethnic groups are mm-hmm. um, disproportionately affected by COVID-19? Are there any uh, ethnic groups that are disproportionately mm-hmm. affected? Like, we need to know that information. So whenever we have all these resources, they're allocated properly to the groups that need the most support. Right. And at the beginning of the pandemic, when there's a rush to get all these resources out and we start getting the understanding of the numbers, I believe that there was improper allocation of resources because there's a lack of data supporting what groups were affected the most by it. And so you get into the situation where these people who are, uh, highly affluent and higher socioeconomic uh, communities getting the resources that uh, poorer people or people who don't necessarily have the resources, the means, or the environment in order to sustain living, mm-hmm. they're pretty much getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, and what a crazy time to shine a light, you know, and put a magnifying glass over something like that like during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we see it in other facets of society, but with this pandemic, it just really brought a lot to the surface. I mean, I don't even remember, especially like here in New Mexico, because I don't even remember at the very, you know, at not the very beginning, but even probably like a almost a year in, I want to say like nine months where we started hearing about the differences in who was being impacted, how they were being impacted, different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our Native community here got hit terribly. I mm-hmm. mean, they're still struggling. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and our community here in New Mexico. But if those numbers, like you were saying, if those numbers don't reflect it and we're continually referred to, you know, as statistically insignificant, then 
there you go right there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, there's your answer. And so, uh, I hope that we can work to a place to where it's like the, those numbers are more representative of us here Mm -hmm. in the state. Definitely. And I think also one of the things why, or one of the reasons why I feel like, or I believe that it's a little bit difficult for our population to really get into those numbers is because of survival. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at data collection or you look at data or even resources, a lot of times, especially in New Mexico, um, this is a Hispanic Latino dominant state. And then you already have white people who have certain privileges afforded. So Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily need to worry as much, Mm -hmm. but Say you have somebody who is has multiple ethnic groups that they're a part of, as I believe as a survival mechanism for them to make sure that they're good. They might not claim black, mm. even though they know they're black, in right. order to get certain resources. Because again, there's disproportionality in the allocation yeah. of resources for the black community. Mm, I'm glad you're you pointed out like what. Because one would ask, well, what would motivate anyone to, like, do that? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, if you—there's the motivation right there. If you stand to to gain off of, like, not fully, sh- you know, showing up as, as Black, then, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see how that would happen. Mm-hmm. And so I just think there's, like, a lot of issues with that. And it ultimately hurts us. Like, I understand, like, the reasoning behind it and— mm-hmm. Shoot, we're survivors, and so I yeah. I am a strong proponent of do what you got to do to survive because that's what we've been having to do all this time. Yeah. But um, at the same time, we need to get those numbers and get that data because our community is still struggling. Yeah. And another thing, another um, just uh, uh, example of data collection and, like, inequities in data and the just the fear of data is with the census. Yeah. And so when you look at the census, it is highly encouraged for everybody to fill it out because the money that will be allocated to that community in that state is highly dependent on the size of the population. Mm. And so if you have a lot of people and it's, it's a lot for the black community and uh, Hispanic Latino communities to really trust the government because we've had so many bad experiences and so many times where we got effed over when it comes to government. But we need those numbers because that's hundreds of millions to billions of dollars that are going to be allocated to a specific community. And when we have like the census tracts, we need everybody to fill it out. But when everybody doesn't fill it out, we only get 60% of the actual number of people. Mm-hmm. It makes it harder for us to really make sure that our community is good and we're getting the money that we're supposed to get allocated to us mm-hmm. cut in half or cut in the thirds. Yeah. You know? One thing that we don't talk about a lot here, when we do have an immigrant population here and it's not it's not only uh, Hispanic, Latino Immigrants, like mm-hmm. there are immigrants from um, like African countries. There, oh, yeah. there are black immigrants here, and uh, you know, as they come into you know our population, like that's another area that's underrepresented. But when you have 
um, you know, establishments that are tyrannical and um, unethical and inhumane like ICE and others, Mm -hmm. then I think that that also contributes because people, like you said, it goes back to survival. People don't want to say anything because of, you know, their fear of not being able to, to live and the pursuit of happiness is, Mm -hmm. is a thing, you know, a beacon that brings folks here. And so just wanted to throw that in. Oh yeah, definitely. And rightly so. Like you have the government getting your information. Yeah. You don't, even though in theory and in practice, it's supposed to be safe, but yeah. you still have that lingering experience that you've had or yeah. um, your ancestors have, mm-hmm. like being in the country or mm-hmm. even like uh, your peers that yeah. came in with you or that you've met being out here. Like mm-hmm. they have their stories and experiences and, you know, it's understandable why yeah. people don't want to fill it out. I'm Like whenever it comes to anything like that, I'm always skeptical of myself. Yeah. Because, again, I don't know what they're doing with our numbers. I don't know what they're doing with my information. And so I definitely understand that fear. Yeah. Well, I want to get into this more. I think we should take a quick break. Uh, We'll hear some sounds from M. Scott Loves Life. And when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, who can we look to and who can we hold accountable and how can we get active on this? So y'all stick around. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reeducated. This is episode six. The sounds that you just heard were M. Scott Loves Life. You can find him on IG and all other socials, M. Scott Loves Life. Um, Getting back into it, episode six, we are talking about data, specifically as it relates to the Black community uh, here in New Mexico. We've kind of zoomed out. And then, you know, of course, we got to bring it back to our community. So uh, when we were talking about data before, we were talking about um, building the capacity of data collection in New Mexico so that it brings a true reflection or representation of the Black residents of New Mexico. So we're not being left out as being statistically insignificant. And so before we went to break, I, I had said that I wanted to discuss some of those measures of um, providing a more accurate number or representation of Black folks here in New Mexico. So, Devin, I, I know that you can, you know, shed light on some of some of those ways that we can get to that point. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the first things that we need to do is highlight that. <laughs> <laughs> I like heard it, but hear it? yeah, I wasn't I was like, sure. Ooh. <laughs> huh? Yeah. yeah. Did you? Hear did, that? did it get caught on the mic? It was so loud. <laughs> hey. Y'all, my stomach. I got bubble guts. Okay. Anyways, Oof. getting back to it. <laughs> but I think one of the first things that we need to do is understand that we do have a place where. We're trying to build the capacity of data in New Mexico, and that's starting with the um, Office of African-American Affairs Data Hub. Mm-hmm. And so you can view the data hub at oaa.state.nm.us, and it's going to be on one of the menus on our website. But I think on top of that, just working with the different state organizations and government organizations like universities Mm -hmm. and public schools and holding them accountable and pushing them to 
disaggregate data. Yeah. So when you say disaggregate, explain a little bit more about what you mean. Just maybe a quick overview of, of disaggregating data. Yeah. So when you look at data, a lot of times it gets aggregated in the sense of everything gets put together. So say, for instance, you're looking at the the population data for uh, a school district mm-hmm. and you'll say, okay, there's X amount of students in the school mm-hmm. school district or whatever. So when you look at disaggregation, you get a little bit deeper into the different facets of these different individuals in the school district. Right. So now you look at household income in specific areas of the school district. You look at the different cultural or ethnic groups mm-hmm. that also are separated. And so you start to break down more of the different components that make up the The big set of data, the big picture, you're kind of like zooming in and like, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the level of education of those parents or, you know, like all of these little um, more specific data sets. Mm -hmm. And same thing. uh, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. But same thing for COVID. Mm -hmm. It's like we got the numbers of individuals who are um, infected with COVID. We got the number who were uh, recovered and who died. But what were their ethnic groups? Mm -hmm. What location were they in? Mm-hmm. Which um, which uh, communities or which areas have the highest infection rate? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we break that down? And so I think just getting more into holding institutions accountable for disaggregating data and providing more of a tell with consent, because you don't want to just dive into all these different things, but yeah. just getting more of an understanding of what populations are affected the most and like within those populations, which ones are thriving, which ones are going through a little bit more troubles, why are they doing that? So just yeah. getting the understanding of the different factors that go into the data. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's important about once you have those factors, you have the disaggregated data, uh, sharing it or making it public and bringing that transparency that we talked, the transparency that we talked about earlier, where the public can view and review this information is important as well. Mm -hmm. And I think just to help build the capacity of data, not only um, and whenever there's opportunities uh, and you doing your research to make sure that you're comfortable in giving your information out to a specific organization or to contribute to data, but also providing information on things like community assets. Mm. What are the different things in our community that we can highlight and allocate to our community in terms of visibility and exposure and everybody in our, in the black community and non-black, if you find resources, but everybody pulling those things and putting them on a platform for us to be able to have access right. and utilize the different things that's going to help mobilize our community. Yeah, 100%. I think that's so important. And um, it's it comes down to a word that we talk a lot about, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, accountability on ourselves to, you know, participate, um, you know, but by doing what we need to do to feel comfortable to do so. <laughs> and also, you know, holding the public officials and other people who are um, collecting this data um, accountable, you mm-hmm. know, for the the 
ethical type of collection of data that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just to add on to that before we go to the next thing, do your research and make sure it's credible sources. Make sure you're looking at all assets or aspects of data and just really understand what data means and how to look at it and understand that data just as a set of numbers doesn't do anything. But when you have an understanding of context, then that's when you start to shape a story around data because data does tell a story. You just have to have the proper context to really understand how it'll tell a story. Right. Definitely. And I think it's amazing that the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs has that data hub uh, that you mentioned earlier. So uh, once again, if you want to check that out, you can go to the website. It's OAAA, so OAAA.state.nm.us. Go check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've kind of touched on everything. Um, what did we miss? Is there anything else that... Um, that we wanted to to talk to people about as far as data. Um, no, I think I think we've pretty much touched on everything that we needed to. Um, if you do have questions or um, comments in regards to data, you can always reach out to us uh, through our website at oaa.state.nm.us. Um, we'll have all of our staff contact information, and so we encourage you to come to us, talk to us. And let us know what we can do to help better support and serve our community because we can only do so much whenever we don't have that communication with the people. And so we want to hear from you and we want to know exactly what you need from us so we can figure out what we can do or who we can direct you to in order to get what you need out of it. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think a, a, a good point too is that in this struggle that we're in in this fight you know for equity and equality overall for our people it's so important for us to to connect to each other like as a community on every opportunity that we have because if we're not united and we're not having each other's backs and we're not showing up for each other then you know that we don't want to come across as divided. Like we have to stand together and we're more powerful together. So um, I think a big part of that, especially now that the pandemic is kind of, um, you know, waning, I hope that I allow to say that mm-hmm. uh, now that, you know, things are kind of coming into a space of a new normal, we find ways to connect with each other, you know, through events and things like that. And I think that, the Office of African American Affairs is a great way for us to connect with one another. I know y'all have um, events mm-hmm. and things, um, one of which is coming up. Did you want to talk a little bit about Expo? Yeah. So <laughs> we have our um, our virtual event called the Black Thought Expo where we're providing uh, opportunities for the community to just get a little bit more of an understanding of what's going on in our community and um, providing empowerment through the Black Economic Forum. We have the Black Political Engagement. We also have the Women's Empowerment Summit. And we have our staple event, which is going to be the State of the Black State, where we have an opportunity to just report out on 
the different achievements and challenges that mm-hmm. our um, population is facing and just providing data just so we can define where we are, yeah, which is going to help us move forward for the future. Absolutely. Future. We're, we're going there. We're headed there. Lots of um, things happening, lots of growing, lots of elevating uh, with the help of organizations like the State Office of African American Affairs. Mm-hmm. Love it. There's also another event happening um, very, very soon. Um, June 18th through the 20th is Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge celebration for us in getting our due process as um, citizens. We're still working towards it. So, and I think this year, um, more than we've like palpably and visibly seen and felt um, in past years, um, it's just so important for us to come together and to celebrate um, each other and mm-hmm. to celebrate the fight that we're in together to um you know, to truly reach that equity equality. So um, Juneteenth celebrations happening at Civic Plaza on the 18th through the 20th of mm-hmm. this month. So come and see a girl. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready to listen to the sounds of Clark. Yes. And M. Scott's Love Life. Yes. M. Scott Loves Life mm-hmm. in the building. Um, multi-talented. I'll be there as well. And we'll be showing up and showing out. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to just uh, hang out with everybody and share our art and yeah, and just have a good time. Yeah. You know, everything is so heavy and so serious. So it'll be nice to like cut loose some and and just see all of our, our beautiful black people together. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, definitely me too. And just to also add another note, we also have June teams that are happening in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. um, Espanola, I believe in Alamogordo and Hobbs. And so- um, We're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so just to make sure that you're staying in the loop, for all of you New Mexicans out there, make sure you follow our newsletter and you can access that at the website at oaa.state.nm.us. Also follow our social media, which is also linked to our website, and we'll do everything we can to provide you with the information you need to support the Black community. Absolutely. Well, that concludes episode six uh, of Reeducated. Once again, we appreciate y'all so much. Uh, We're nothing without our listeners. So we appreciate y'all tuning in. And once again, a big thanks to the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. And we will catch y'all next time for episode seven. Thank you. This is. My neck.